This is Roy's Rocket Radio, episode 27, being recorded on Sunday the 2nd of February 2014 at 4.14 in the afternoon. Hello again. Um, so, yes, we're finally um, back to a Sunday schedule. Um, which is odd because this was originally supposed to be um, a Sunday show, but I think out of the 27 episodes, it's probably um, one of very few, less than I can count it on the fingers of one hand, that have actually been recorded on Sunday. But I'm going to try and stick to Sunday from now on. Um, so yeah, um, welcome to uh, the the show. In the usual chaotic manner, we are the Plan Nine from Outer Space of podcasting. Um, but at least we're back on the right day. Um, now all I have to do is fine tune the time because I was um, hoping to get this out a bit earlier because it's uh, you know it's late in the afternoon. It'd be nice to uh, push it out towards lunchtime. Um, just to liven up a, th- a thoroughly boring day. <laughs> I, I really don't like Sundays. Um, so yeah, uh, on with the show then. And um, if you're wondering why I'm having a show only a few days after the last one, well, um, I'm planning to talk a bit, possibly about Doctor Who next week. And um, I had some stuff that just cropped up during the week after the last podcast that I wanted to discuss. Um, Actually, about that Doctor Who podcast, I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to be ready to do it next week. It seems like an awful chunk, an awful lot to tackle in one go um, without much preparation. And I do have time. Because the new series with Peter Capaldi won't be out until, um, well, first it was supposed to be late summer, but I think it's going to be autumn, um, perhaps a bit later than that. But anyway, it'll be out towards the end of uh, this year. So we're looking about autumn 2014. Um, But enough of that, and on with the show. we're not going to talk about movies this week um, because there aren't that many genre movies that, I ha- uh, that are around at the moment that I haven't talked about or blogged about. Um, so I caught up with a few things um, on iPlayer. Um, first was the TV documentary uh, Horror Europa with Mark Gatiss um, from 2012. So this is still um, available for one more day, so if you're listening to this, maybe you want to pause the podcast and go and watch it first and then come back. But um, yeah, so Mark Gatiss, the uh, actor, uh, writer, uh, <laughs> a number of things, probably a producer as well, um, presents and delivers this um, 
his delivery actually is worth talking about because he de- delivers his uh, narration or his um, the the documentary uh, with a slightly disturbing glacial smoothness and a faint air of gleeful menace. Um, and I'm guessing that he is so good at this because he is an actor, um, and and it definitely helps. It it made my podcast feel quite poor in comparison. Um, but anyway, this is a, a fun, chilling, yet deeply respectful exploration of European horror from the silent era to modern day. Um, and, uh, you know, after watching this, I'm now fully convinced of Gatiss's nerd credibility, as he seems to share many of my own predilections for the macabre, um, and possibly yours too. So, uh, basically, if you like horror, I'm sure you'll love this. Um, And it covers the whole spectrum of European horror, including the cinema of Germany's pre-war Weimar Republic and later Italian Giallo, amongst other things. Um, Some of the movies mentioned are Daughters of Darkness, 1971 from Belgium, Nosferatu, 1922 from Germany and a whole lot more Um, you can have a look through my show notes for a whole list um, but I've marked out a few for special attention Um, so let's see yeah there's um, he mentions The Man Who Laughs 1928 um, from uh, from America um as an inspiration for the for Batman's The Joker. Um, now, I, I wasn't sure, so sure about this, but they, they showed the footage, and when you see that, you think it's not one of the inspirations for The Joker, it is the inspiration for The Joker. So that was interesting. That's The Man Who Laughs 1928. Um... Let's see what else. He also mentions the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, 1920, from Germany. Um, Le Mans de du Diable, 1943, from France, which Lucy translates as or, or the hand of the devil or the hands of the devil. I think hand. Yeah, hand of the devil. Um, Le Diabolique from 1955, France again, which translates as the devils or the demons or the fiends. Um, Choose whichever title you think best. Um, Also, Eyes Without a Face from France, which is... Which is quite disturbing. Um, They showed some clips of the uh, movie um, during the documentary and I had my hands over my face. (laughs) I I was quite frightened. I I, I did take a peek and it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it would be. But it was pretty horrifying. Um, And the clue is in the title, Eyes Without a Face. Um, So you think about that. Um, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Quite horrible. Um, 
let's just say early transplantation surgery. <coughs> um, they also mentioned Black Sabbath from 1963 um, from Italy uh, by Ma Mario Brava. Um, now, the, I want to bring Mario Brava up just briefly. Um, now, this isn't mentioned in the documentary, but Mario Brava is the guy behind a film called Planet of Vampires, 1965. Um, if you want to look that up on IMDb or just Google it um, and maybe look at the stills, stills from the uh, movie because I think key scene sets, costumes from the movie are very, very eerily, in fact, reminiscent of Ridley Scott's Alien 1970 and Prometheus 19... Oops, sorry, <laughs> 2012. Um... I'm not sure what to make of that, but um, it, it does seem a little odd. Um, I th and I think I might have mentioned this before, but, you know, who knows, either in the blog or the podcast, not that it really matters, but yeah. Um, the, especially the spaceship um, from the first movie, Aliens, uh, sorry, Alien, um, that weird kind of spaceship with horns. I, I'm sure I've seen that in Planet of Vampires. Um, and the spacesuits in um, Prometheus look very reminiscent of the spacesuits the crew wear in Planet of Vampires. Um, he also mentions Dario Argenta's um, Brilliant Suspiria, 1977, from Italy. Um, and he does clear up a few things that even I wasn't really that clear about. Um, he mentions that um, he talks about the difference between, uh, well, general Italian horror cinema of the time, you know, post-New Wave, and uh, Giallo, um, which is apparently specific to a certain type of horror. Um, so Suspiria wouldn't actually be included in that. Uh, if, you, if you recall from the blog or earlier podcast, Giallo horror is horror based on cheap, trashy um, photo novels and prose uh, books um, that were printed on cheap, yellowish pulp paper, hence Giallo, which is Italian for yellow. Um, but these usually concern, concerned, um, uh, well, a, a blacked glove killer of one sort of, or the other, um, sometimes masked, um, but, but that was, it was kind of a, a horrifying thriller, um, rather than witches and werewolves and things like that. So it was. So that was useful for me um, to learn a bit more about Giallo, um, and he towards and right at the end he talks about uh, some modern films, um, Pan's Labyrinth, two thousand and six, from Spain, and The Devil's Backbone, two thousand and one, from Spain, uh, by Mexican filmmaker Guillermo del Toro. Um, 
like I said, it's only available for one more day, um, which at this time now, um, at 25 minutes past four, means probably until midnight. Uh, so yeah, only available for one more day on BBC iPlayer. Um, and that's called Horror Europa with Mark Gatiss, 2012. So hurry over there and, and download that before it's too late. Um, Right, uh, the next thing I want to talk about um, was a show, sorry, was a documentary uh, from two years earlier. Um, oh no, sorry, let me, let me backpedal a bit. I've muddled, I've got myself muddled up. I told you, it's Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, yeah. So Horror Europa with Mark Gatiss 2012 was preceded by another um, rather good pro um, mini-series that I haven't seen yet called A, Hi A History of Horror with Mark Gatiss 2010. Um, I'm not quite sure where to get that yet, so uh, if I get a chance I'll watch that. Um, I mean, if I get the opportunity to find it somewhere I'll watch it. Um, Okay, so next uh, we move to radio for our audio section. Um, now, much more recently, there's been uh, a small half-hour program by Matthew Sweet called Houses of Horror 2014. Um, I think it's only... I, I think this came out the, at the beginning of the month. Um, but yeah, Matthew Sweet uh, has an excellent little chat about the David and Goliath rivalry between Milton Sabotsky's Amicus and the juggernaut that is Hammer, House of Horror. Um, so d during the, say, late 60s, early 70s, um, we have the rivalry between these two film companies. Amicus was very small, and Hammer, as you know, was very large. Um, there were other differences between the two. Hammer tended to go for gothic-type uh, horror with vampires, usually set in Eastern Europe somewhere, vaguely reminiscent of Transylvania. And many of the uh, costumes tended to be Victorian-type, lacy um, costumes and velvet and um, quite romantic looking whereas Amicus went for a more modern day approach um, modern day settings and they, tr they specialised in, in something that's called portmanteau or uh, as is as it is known in, in prose, uh, frame tales. Um, but they also did some science fiction which isn't mentioned in the programme. Um, things like uh, the two Doctor Who movies that starred Peter Cushing. Um, very underrated. I, I enjoy both those movies immensely. Um, both about the Daleks. Uh, 
probably talk about them during the Doctor Who episode of the podcast, um, but I'll leave that for now. Yeah, so uh, anyway, the, this uh, documentary, Houses of Horror, is still available for the next four days on iPlayer, so be sure to check this, that out. Um, but yeah, back to uh, how Amicus made films and uh, these portmanteau uh, frame tales. Um, what happens is you'd get um, a main narrator um, introducing like short stories, I suppose, uh, to, to the hero or the protagonist um, who would inevitably get tangled up in um, some kind of horrific incident during the course of the movie, usually towards the end. Um, there are... Actually, there are two films which, which neatly um, encapsulate, I suppose, the, uh, the amicus um, the, uh, ethos. And that would be um, films like The House That Dripped Blood, uh, which is especially good, very, very enjoyable film that, um, from 1970, and it also stars John Pertwee. Excellent film. Um, and towards the end of Amicus's life, they've got the, the, the very Kemp and extremely trashy The Monster Club, 1980, uh, which I think is, is brilliant and has a really great rock theme. So try and find those two movies. Um, or you probably don't have to find those movies because they are constantly repeated on TV, especially digital TV and cable. Um, if you've got Freeview or Freesat, you, you'll eventually... Or even just normal um, TV. If anyone has normal four-channel TV anymore, I don't think they do. Or five-channel. No, everyone's got Freeview or Freesat. So, yeah, you'll eventually get round to seeing those, just to uh, make sure you do see them. So I'll just repeat that. It was The Monster Club, 1980, and The House That Dripped Blood, Dripped Blood, sorry, 1970. Uh, so, what else? Um, oh, there was a bit more audio I listened to this week, uh, again on iPlayer. In fact, almost everything I've been doing this week has, well, since the last podcast, has been listening to iPlayer. Oh, bear with me for a moment. Right, okay. Um, and that was The Pyramids of Mars, um, as read by, incredibly, Tom Baker, um, who, who does really excellent voice acting. Um... So far, we're up to episode three, uh, again, with one day left to listen. Uh, but if you missed that, at least listen to the very last episode. Um, I can't emphasise too much how good Tom Baker's voice was. Um, it does fill you with... with does fill me with immense jealousy when I, <laughs> I think about my own voice. I, I wish I could speak like that too. Um, he, he has great gravitas and um, drama 
and he can do different, I wouldn't say different, uh, he can do different characters uh, in using different tones of voice. Uh, but yeah, immensely enjoyable. That's The Pyramids of Mars, as read by Tom Baker, available on iPlayer with One Day Left. Okay, so that's it for things I listened to and watched. Um, onto some literature. Um, first, there's one thing I, I want to clear up. I've, I, If you've been watching my Twitter feed, you've noticed me holding up quite a lot of books and comics. Um, now, most of the comics I've read, but many of the books I've held up, I haven't. Uh, the reason I've been uh, picking up these books in the library um, is for one thing, it's to help me working out how writers um, structure a plot. It, it's my it's definitely my weak point. I've been looking at my own writing. Um, I'm fine with character, with imagery, with just about everything. Punctuation, um, sentence construction, uh, the works. I mean, I'm not too pedantic about it, but I'm, you know, I, I think I can write. Um, I mean, the blogging's helped. But uh, fiction writing something different. But um, the, my main problem is how to, you know, stick to a blo uh, uh, Sorry, a plot. Uh, I keep changing my mind, um, and it's a nightmare. Now, I've looked at other people's uh, writing, uh, horror writers, generally pulp writers, and. The impression I get is they don't worry as much as I do, and I think this is holding me up. Um, so I've been flicking very rapidly through a bunch of books um, to see how other writers handle plot, rather than actually reading them, so I don't have that much to, to review. Um, but anyway, that, that's books. Uh, as for comics, I, I generally do read them because it only takes me perhaps an hour or, or rarely more than an hour to read um, uh, an average graphic novel. If it's long, it might take me two hours, which means two, two sittings. But yeah, the, the average uh, trade, you know, collected series, uh, the average graphic novel will only take me an hour to read. Uh, so the latest one I, I spotted on the shelf at my local library was Saga. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, in fact, in episode 22, I reviewed volume one of the series and I was lucky enough to happen upon uh, the second volume of Brian K. Vaughan's clever fantasy slash sci-fi riff on Star Wars at my local library uh, last Thursday. Um, probably a few hours after the last podcast. Depends when I did it, I can't remember. It was either early in the morning or late at night. But anyway, last Thursday I got my hands on Saga Volume 2. Uh, whizzed through it. Um, so in this one, uh, we have a... What's happened? So, yeah, our uh, protagonist, Mar Marco and Alana and their baby, continue their escape from the forces of Landfall and Wreath. 
uh, two opposing worlds whose um, war has now engulfed the entire uh, galaxy. Um, and who and both those planets, Landfault and Wreath, have now uh, respectively dispatched um, an aristocratic robot and a human bounty hunter. Uh, the robot's called, I think, Robot 4, something like that. And the human bounty... Oh, God, I'm not good on the research stuff. I only read it a few days ago, I already forgot. But, yeah, the human bounty hunter is called The Will. And they've both been sent out to kill these two. Um, because they're deemed to be traitors. Uh, one, uh, let's see, Marco's from Wreath and Alana's from Landfall. Um, so in this volume we also get to meet Marco's reactionary mum and easygoing and I have to say <laughs> delightful father um, who, who's very good at, at, at um, I don't know, tailoring I suppose So, my only criticism of this volume, um, and, it, and it really um, also stretches to the first volume of the series, and I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing the entire series, is there's a lot of modern colloquialisms, um, modern slang, not modern to the 55, 5 millionth century or whenever this is set, but to, to, to modern day to us today um, and there's also a lot of which gives you a feeling of disconnection from a true fantasy world because it is a bit too similar um, and also the, the language is fairly earthy um, and even coarse um, I mean there's you know there's a lot of swearing in it basically I don't find it particularly offensive Though it is a little uh, quite jarring and grating, and in my view, it detracts from the overall epic feel that I think the story is really capable of uh, producing. Um, but that's the that's what the writer went for. So you know, who am I to criticise? Um, that's only my personal view, and I'm sure people who are hearing this will just say I'm being precious. Um, but yeah, quite enjoyable. I, th I think I'm going to keep up with the series. I, I just want to see what, what ultimately happens to uh, Marco and Alana. So I've, I've got emotions invested in the story. Okay, so that's it for Saga Volume 2. So next, technology. Just got a bit to chat about. Um, ArcOS, or ARCOS, A-R-K-O-S. Um, so now that Google have shut down iGoogle, um, then FeedReader, feed then f the FeedBurner API, um, there's no longer a Facebook API available, Twitter and Skype shut down the API, uh, there's possible NSA backdoors in everything. Uh, and if that's not enough, I mean, how sure 
or how much can you trust that the services that you use today are going to stay up and in use? Um, you know, it's fairly unlikely that Google are going to shut down email or, or they're going to start charging, but you never know. I mean, they're a law unto themselves. Uh, and what happens if that does happen? Uh, you're so, uh, this guy, Jacob Cook, may have the solution in the shape of his startup called Arc, Arc OS, um, which was successfully funded on Kickstarter in November. And the intention, well, his idea is that he wants to create a cloud plat platform that you can run from home. Um, certainly cheaper than existing solutions. Uh, mainly, it's cheaper because it uses custom a custom Linux, which runs on the Raspberry Pi platform. Um, in a, initially, it will support, or so I've read, uh, web hosting, email, chat, cloud services, and social networking. Um, this all sounds like a great idea, and I'm not one to knock it, because I don't like paying hosting fees. Um, but I'm not quite sure what the ISPs are going to make of it if we all suddenly start hosting our websites from home and running our own mail servers. Um, also, the, the other point is, it's built for RPI. Uh, but what if you have obsolete hardware that isn't Raspberry Pi? Um, like, I've got a netbook, for instance, which ever since I got the, the iMac last year, I've barely used. Um, and now I'm sure this would be ideal for for running a web server uh, on. But, as far as I can see, there is no download for, you know, x86 architecture at the moment. Uh, I, I did read more recently, though, um, just today, that you can, apart from a few plugins uh, that are being worked on, in fact, you can, with a bit of finagling, uh, run this on, you know, an ordinary PC architecture, uh, mainly because it's mostly r written in Python. Um, but at the moment, I, you know, I think I'll wait and see until someone comes up with a nice, uh, ready-made binary distribution that doesn't require me to do anything apart from hit install. Um, you can check that out at arcos.io. Um, if you didn't get that, just check check out the show notes for all links and other information. Um, oh, I do have one last thing to talk about. I almost missed it because I didn't scroll far enough through my notes. Um, so, in a month or two, Windows XP will finally be shut down for good. I mean, I haven't used XP for a while. I'm on Windows 7, running on Boot Camp, running on uh, my Mac Mini. But, I don't plan to move to Windows 8. It just looks too different, and I'm already getting the 
problem where many of my applications, older applications, 32-bit uh, ones especially, just won't work on even Windows 7 because the version of Windows I'm running is 64-bit, which is what's recommended for the late, for, well, for the last uh, Mac Mini. Um, so the thought of having to cope with even more apps not working and dealing with that whole Windows genuine advantage fiasco has turned me right off. Um, I think what I, I will do personally is slowly migrate everything over to, to the Mac. Um, because, well, I've got a Mac Mini, I'm just not using it. Most, most of my uh, disk space at the moment is devoted to Windows. Um, but I think, like I said, that will gradually change over time. Um, I'll get the last remaining Windows apps that I like to use running on Wine through... Um, there's a nice install, installation package called Wine Bottler for Mac OS X. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm definitely not going up to Windows 8. It's just too much hassle. Uh, and of course, we're getting Steam, uh, Steam OS soon for everyone and for uh, well de dedicated Steam machines that many companies are coming out with. Um, so that should sort out a lot of the gaming hassles. Um, and I. Uh, I can't imagine the corporate's customers moving to Windows 8 with its Metro interface, um, although my, Microsoft are apparently backing down and they're going to make it a lot easier to get to the desktop interface in Windows 9, which is due out, I believe, in 2015. Um, I think everyone will stick to Windows 7 and slowly desert Windows altogether unless something incredibly amazing happens and, and Microsoft, or Microsoft just you know, bucks up their ideas and makes it uh, a whole lot less irksome to use uh, especially with all their licensing restrictions which are absolutely ridiculous um, I'm not sure I've got anything else to add to that Probably more ranting, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. And it's getting near time for me to start preparing dinner. Um, so I'll just leave it for there. But I've got one last thing to add, and more to do with the podcast itself. Um, I really would love to get some reviews. Uh, whether Even if you hate it, um, just let me know. Let me know how bad it is and I'll try and fix things. Um, a rating would be nice too. You can do all these things by going over to iTunes, um, finding the podcast on iTunes, it is there. That's Roy's Rocket Radio. Just do a word search and it'll pop right up or go to the website roymatur.com that's R-O-Y-M-A-T-H-U-R.com um, as I've said in an earlier Twitter posting, I'm trying to um, limit my use of the internet because I've got far too much work and I waste way too much time um, 
doing all sorts of social media things which, you know, do me no favours and don't help me at all um, earn any money. Um, but yeah, the, the point I'm trying to make is if you want to contact me, by far the best method of contacting me is by email. I always look at my email, um, but in the next few weeks or so, I won't be looking that much at the blog or social media because I'll be writing. Um, so yeah, if you want to get me in touch, just drop me a line. That's roy.matur, M-A-T-H-U-R, at gmail.com. Um, and that's it for now. So, thank you for listening to the show. Um, hopefully there'll be another one next Sunday. Now I've got to get down to editing the thing and uploading it. So, thank you, and... Bye for now.